Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity. Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred, how you doing? I'm doing great, Greg. How are you this week? Oh, we're doing great. No complaints up here in South Lake Tahoe. We're anticipating another awesome ski season. So, Fingers crossed. For those of you not familiar with Fred, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, which is a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the Journal of Population Health Management and the Best Practices Review Panel for the Institute for Medicaid Innovations. He is a past chair and former board member of the Population Health Alliance, known as PHA. Fred is known on Twitter as at F.S. Goldstein. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACLWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and PrecisionMedicine.center. And now for today's special guests, Theodore R., a.k.a. Ted Willich, and Matt Berseth of NLP Logics a behavioral analytics and predictive modeling company based in Jacksonville, Florida. Ted is CEO of NLP Logics with more than 20 years of experience founding and leading high growth companies. Previous to NLP Logics, Ted was co-founder and COO of MDI, a startup in the medical services industry that grew from zero to 100 million in annual revenues over the course of 18 years. Matt is lead scientist at NLP Logics. He began his career working as an intern for Microsoft, which had recently acquired the Great Plains accounting software platform in Fargo, North Dakota. Upon uh, completing his master's in computer science, Matt moved to Jacksonville, Florida, where he continued his software development career, working for a number of healthcare marketing and logistics companies, where his focus was in developing and deploying predictive modeling applications in a production environment. And with that brief introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Ted and Matt and what they're up to at NLP Logics. Thank you so much, Greg. And uh, Ted and Matt, welcome to Pop Health Week. Thank you. Great. Yeah, thanks. Well, it's, it's great to have you on. It's also great to uh, feature a, a company in my backyard uh, that Many people may not know of, but I've certainly got to know you guys pretty well over the last couple of years. And perhaps, um, Ted, let's start with you. A little bit about why you started NLP Logics and what you saw as the opportunity in the healthcare market space. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, just want to thank you again, Fred, and, and also pass on to Greg that the skiing season here in Jacksonville will not be extended uh, <laughs> this year. So unfortunately, that, that won't happen. But um, no, we, we started um, NLP Logics really, really grew out of um, 
the company Matt and I worked at before MDI, um, where we were doing a lot of uh, predictive modeling and integrating predictive analytics into um, our workflows. And um, the business of that company was to build and maintain hospital and physician networks across the country. Um, and uh, we just, we saw an opportunity and uh, we uh, left that company in 2011, started NLP Logic. So we're about six years old. Um, the original business plan was to use natural language processing to integrate disparate health IT systems since everything in uh, healthcare seems to be in silos. Um, and we thought that was a great uh, business plan and that's why our name is NLP Logics. And we were about a couple months into it and then Matt decided to start competing in data science contests hosted by Kaggle.com. Um, the first contest coincidentally was a healthcare um, challenge and that was to uh, design an algorithm to sit on the back end of an electronic health record and diagnose uh, patients with uh, undi or identify patients with undiagnosed type 2 diabetes. Uh, he won the contest and that's when we said, oh boy, look at this. There's a lot of companies and a lot of industries that want to leverage machine learning. So, uh, so really it's Matt's fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And I know, you know, there's a bunch of areas we go into today. Uh, you know, I've talked to you guys a bit about it. And let's start really with uh, one that's uh, pretty exciting. You know, obviously machine learning is this hot topic now for healthcare, and you've applied it through a couple areas that we're going to get into. But let's talk first about maybe your application of machine learning to uh, computer vision. Um, what you've done there, sort of how it works, be great. Yeah, so. Um... So the, the application of, uh, of machine learning and computer vision is is something that's really advanced quite significantly here in the past, you know, I'd say five or six years. Um, the the field of uh, machine learning was really sort of you know shaken up with this concept of called deep learning, which you may or may not have heard of. But what deep learning is is it's a little bit of a you know, it's a little bit of the holy grail when it comes to data modeling. And the holy grail is um, a, lot of, a lot of machine learning pipelines, including the one that Ted had referenced um, when we created the algorithm that um, diagnosed um, or identified patients with undiagnosed type 2 diabetes, is there's this part of the process where you have humans sort of engineer these features that help identify and give the model indicators that it uses to make its estimates. And the thing that has changed in, um, in vision, in computer vision specifically, is deep learning, which is sort of automating this process of identifying what features in the image are indicative of the, um, of the outcome that we're looking for. And so um, that's been the real game changer, and it's, it's a combination of software and hardware. So the GPUs, which is a graphical processing unit, which is a really high-end um, piece of hardware that are, mm -hmm. are great at computer vision tasks. And so it, it's really sort of flipped the field and opened up a number of new opportunities and areas where it just wasn't possible previously. So I know that this has uh, you know, become a very hot area and, and uh, a lot of companies are going at this. Um, and you guys have been in a couple of competitions, I think maybe four of them around vision or a few of them around cancer detection things. So talk a little about those competitions, what you're detecting, what cancers you're working on, and uh, how well these, these uh, newer deep learning um, algorithms work. 
Yeah, so the competitions are a little bit, you know, they're focused right now. We're sort of focusing in the, the medical space for these challenges. And the common denominator is they're all uh, imaging based challenges, but the types of images are really quite different. Uh, we've we started with uh, digital pathology. And in that use case, we were taking uh, a digital uh, uh, image of a pathology slide, which the image itself is enormous. Um, you know, it's it's some of the slides were maybe 30 gigabytes on disk, containing millions of cells. And what we were doing was identifying which cells in that slide were positive for invasive tumor. And the the task there was to see really to, it's an open ended task, which is to say, you know, we know these algorithms have advanced significantly recently. How do they compare to the human pathologists? And uh, and you know that that was the task, that was the implementation, and the result. This this was going back a couple of years now in, in 2016. The results were the algorithms are are on par with at some tasks with uh, humans, specifically in the digital pathology world for identifying invasive tumor, which was a pretty significant finding at the time. Wow. So. So what you're saying in, in layman terms, I guess, is that, that the computer was able to detect the cancerous cells as well as a radiologist could do that. Uh, yeah, in this case, it was a pathologist. And or a pathologist was, in this case, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it was, it was yeah, it was, um, it, you know, they, the, the challenge organizers did a really nice job on comparing the pathologist to the algorithms and, and doing a deep dive into what type of mistakes does a pathologist make versus what type of mistakes does the machine make and the part where there was a lot of value is the the human pathologist would miss like really narrow bands of invasive tumor that were you know maybe 15 cells or you know 50 cells that in this in this million cell you know in this slide with a million cells you can see okay that that that's reasonable to understand why you would miss that but the algorithm of course since it, it searches every pixel tirelessly, basically, it was really good at identifying those narrow bands of invasive tumor, which was a really interesting outcome. You know, Fred, Fred, I got to I got to jump in. Matt is is extremely humble. I don't know if it's his his Fargo, North Dakota upbringing. <laughs> and, and when his alma mater, North Dakota State, uh, wins the football championship, like, you know, five out of the last six years, the, uh, he, he gets humble. But but um, the algorithm that he submitted um, as part of the Chameleon 16. It was a, a contest hosted over in Prague. Um, his algorithm was actually uh, fifth out of the 80 some odd competitors, including a team from from Google, by the way. But uh, his came wow. in fifth. And the number one submission was a combined team from MIT and, um, and Harvard. Um, and the other uh, three teams were from, um, from Europe. So we were actually the number two team in the US and, and that contest was written up last year in a um, artificial intelligence report uh, put out by um, the Obama administration last year. So we're, that's something we're, we're all extremely proud of and, and we like to, to brag on Matt a little bit on that. Well, that's fantastic. I, um, I know you guys are growing, but in terms of resources, I think you're not quite as large as some of those other uh, groups <laughs> you mentioned. So that's incredible. And and let's get on a little bit to some more of this vision stuff and computer vision stuff you've done, because you also have done things in the area of radiology around some uh, cancer classification. So could you talk about that a bit? 
Uh, yes. So the other areas and, and um, basically you're hitting the main point. So the digital pathology is very ripe, but also um, radiology is also really a really great use case. And some of the areas we're looking at in uh, radiology is uh, is automating the task of classifying or identifying uh, brain lesions in a in an MRI, um, which is a you know it's a labor intensive task going through and identifying this pixel, this precise location is is a brain lesion. So we're uh, looking at automating that process, um, and, and as well as other things. Um, you know, there's there's a use case we've been working on um, with uh, with one of our partners around identifying indicators of of um, if a stroke is currently happening in the patient, which would be in a, a really great use case for um, you know for clinical reasons, clearly. So in these in these other classifications, the ones you've done around cancers, um, there have mm -hmm. been some competitions there. But you just mentioned the stroke um, one, and I believe is that the the announcement you made recently with Mayo and Microsoft? Yes, that's the one. Yep. So so what is that project that that the press release came out on? Yep. So we got. Um, introduced to uh, some of the folks at the Mayo Clinic. It's kind of ironic that uh, the, the way it happened, we were up at, um, at a uh, GPU conference up in Washington, D.C. last fall. Um, NLP Logics is a, a very proud member of the NVIDIA uh, Inception program. And uh, so we were invited up there and, and uh, to, to talk about some of the applications that we have in healthcare as well as other industries and, and someone from the National Cancer Institute said, hey, you guys really need to, because we're obviously a for-profit company, said, you guys really need to, to partner with a research group and, um, and establish a relationship and, and really start to work on, um, specifically, it was the Cancer Moonshot program that they were talking about. So uh, one introduction led to another, led to another, and we ended up being introduced to people about four exit down here on JTB Parkway in Jacksonville, Florida to the Mayo Clinic. And uh, so we've been working with the Mayo probably uh, seven or eight months, um, putting together an agreement um, and a, a product development agreement where uh, the first product will be the stroke detection algorithm that uh, Matt talked about. And then there's a, a number of others um, that are very shortly following um, in the, the cardiology um, uh, specialty all around imaging. Um, we've spent quite a bit of time in the last few months uh, developing the technical pipeline to be able to um, annotate, annotate the imagery so that um, Matt and the team here can, can quickly um, and accurately develop the algorithm. So it, it's um, been a lot of fun. Um, we've gotten a lot of um, a lot more attention because of it, which which is great. And uh, I should also mention that Microsoft um, has has really stepped up and is supporting us uh, by making some uh, some of their ML applications um, and their Azure platform available to us. So that you know, if you think about it, by developing the al these algorithms, the the experience and the the quality of of Mayo Clinic can really be you know distributed throughout the world. Um, so is the idea technology. then, Ted, to take these algorithms and through the Azure platform, have them available for others to ping their their images up against as a potential sales model or something like that? Yep, that, that's correct. 
Wow. And and let me ask you, uh, go, going back, uh, Matt, a little bit, is the stroke one entirely an imaging one, or are you pulling in any other data sources as you do that uh, machine learning analytics? Yeah, great, great question. So it, it'll most likely, well, it will, it'll start as imaging, but um, it'll very quickly move into integrating in the rest of the data elements that are available. Um, but that'll all be, that's all part of the roadmap, but it'll start with imaging and then, and then we'll layer in other data elements, which is very common, not so mm -hmm. much for the challenges, but more on the, on the commercial side of NLP logics is to, is to sort of iteratively introduce those new data elements as we level up the model. Got it. And, um, when you're doing a project like that, I mean, and someone's thinking about, hey, we want to we want to potentially do a a uh, come up with some algorithms for our healthcare issue or this disease we're looking at. What's a typical process or time? Is there any sort of typical time frame or process to do that that somebody would know going into it to think about? Uh, so, okay, I'll tackle it. Usually. Uh, from the well, I'll tackle the business side, and then and then uh, Mac can tackle the 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 tech side. Um, really, the the main the main thing when when engaging and and going forward in either a predictive modeling or computer vision project is is really make sure you've defined the business case and the scope well. Um, the tighter you do that, um, that will um, guide the rest of the process. But but in general. Um, assuming the data is is available and and once you get all your HIPAA agreements and data sharing agreements done and 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 all of that um, it, it's relatively quick I mean it, it's a matter of of months not not years um, not quite weeks yet but we're working on it <laughs> but um, but but yeah I mean it's it's um, you know we, we work on while we're developing the the algorithm we work on a time and materials basis and then once it's in production we we move over to a monthly subscription to to keep it running but uh, matt you want to talk a little about the tech yeah yeah and, and the approach the thing i would say that is really important especially well anytime we build models but it can be especially tricky in healthcare and, and that's really what we try to do is to as quick as we can understand what reasonable upper and lower bounds for performance is going to be and so in in the healthcare example a lot of the challenges will ultimately have the goal of being on par with human level um performance and so um like if you if we're doing one of these challenges or if we're doing one of these projects really from scratch it's really important for us to understand where the goal post is and what we're trying to get to and um and just setting that level of, of accuracy of what humans do can sometimes be actually really tricky or hard to acquire that data. Um, but that's usually from a, from a process standpoint of how we think about these problems. We very quickly think about setting that upper bound so we know where the goalpost is. And then to Ted's point on, you know, it's, it's not down to weeks yet, but within weeks, we like to have what we call just that MVP model, just the minimal test for signal, you know, basically, what is you know how feasible is this how hard of a problem is this going to be try to get something through the model pipeline as quick as possible to understand um sort of what what we're up against mm -hmm. great and you you mentioned something and uh this might be a good time to segue maybe to a little different business 
uh, reason for some of the work you do. And you talked about on par with the human level of performance for these clinical review type programs or clinical identification type programs. You also did some work, I know, in areas that are more around the business of healthcare, and in particular, you know, bad debt and that. And that's been sort of a, uh, a hot area as well for these new types of machine learning algorithms. And obviously in those, you want to get better than your current human performance level. So what are you, um, could you talk a little about that project as well? Um, yeah, we're doing quite a bit of work in um, the revenue cycle management um, side because obviously the the tech the core technology of machine learning and, and computer vision um, is going to be is all pretty much the same. It's it it takes the same team approach of statisticians, software engineers, and machine learning experts to deliver a solution. And for the past uh, year and a half, two years, um, we've been working with a number of of large uh, companies in the revenue cycle management process to more accurately score the probability that somebody is going to pay a debt. And um, obviously with, with the increase in deductibles and, 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 uh, and such, there's a, quite a bit more bad debt out there. And, and we believe and, and we've proven that um, on, on average, we've been able to deliver about a five to 7% lift in, um, in increased collections from the typical, uh, you know, send in and get a credit bureau score uh, type approach, um, whereas we're taking more of a behavioral approach and, and modeling um, what works for, for collecting um, debt on that side. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that kind of work, um, are there any you know, everyone's talked about aggregating some of these unique outside data sets. Are there any of them that, that you look at as well? Any other of these, um, you know, social sets or things like that that might be impacting that? Or is it still typically uh, the basic things that people are doing to determine someone's ability to pay or not pay a, a debt? Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly the, um, the Census Bureau has a lot of very rich data. Um, and we've worked extensively with that. We we do with particularly in, uh, obviously on the healthcare side is is we bring in quite a bit of um, practitioner um, data. Mm -hmm. So so you know specialties and in taxonomies and things that um, are indicative of behavior because you obviously behave differently with a emergency room physician than than a uh, you know your your PCP or something. So. All of that plays into um, the probabilities, and, and we just happen to play those probabilities on a very large scale. Um, we, we have done some work with social media, um, uh, for example, uh, with the Florida Poison Center, who um, has been a customer for about five years. They're just a tremendous group of, of, of folks there. Dr. Schaubin, who runs the center, um, has worked closely with us, um, and we've been uh, we've used Twitter data to to be able to look at um, uh, some of the poison outbreaks and some of the trending that that happens uh, across the state of Florida. Got it. And and for each of these, you said that the algorithms sort of around vision and the others are the same. I mean, from a technical approach, Matt is obviously there's a lot. You talked about a team that works on these things for you you've got to have a pretty good sense of the statistics and the different uh, machine learning algorithms before you really try to dive into this, right? 
Yeah, so I'd say, you know, one, absolutely, the, the, the low-level details of the algorithms are significantly different. There's no doubt about that. But I would say that um, a lot of times the algorithm part of the model building process is, is actually the easiest part. The harder parts um, are the setting up the process of, um, you know, the, the data transformations and stuff. Um, making sure that you're not overfitting or making sure that you have a fair evaluation of your data set, interpreting the results. Those are the pieces that I think across, um, across all the different areas that we do predictive modeling, I think that's where our process scales nicely because we can take things we've learned from debt collection and we can improve our process on how we evaluate or how we train our computer vision models and vice versa. We'll swap out the exact algorithms Absolutely, um, but the process uh, pieces of it are are very much the same. Uh huh. And so let's say, I mean, hospitals, obviously, healthcare, we just have gobs of data, not always easy to get to, but we have gobs of it. And and we ha now have all of these systems, healthcare systems, that are forming and getting bigger, and they're putting all this data together, trying to mash it up. As they begin to say, hey, we want to move beyond just our basic analytics and reporting, and we want to start really getting into some predictive analytics, what kinds of questions should they be asking and what should they be looking for? Well, though, I would, I would guess I would put one thing out there. I would say that, um, you know, be ready for it, it's not it's not a magic box. It's not a it's not a it's not necessarily an easy thing. It definitely is. Uh, a process that takes some rigor. I think Ted had said that, you know, focusing hard on the scope of the problem that you're trying to solve is a really good starting point and getting iterative, really iterative with what you're doing, get through the process first and see what you're learning as you're going. That'd be my advice. I mean, I know um, lots of data is collecting and, and there's lots of big data processing techniques and you can very easily get overwhelmed with where do you even start? And so my advice would just be try to start somewhere small and iterate and get some momentum. Mm -hmm. And are I, there any? I'm oh, oh, sorry, Fred. I, I would add one more in there, um, and that's uh, before you you kick off a project like this, if you have any other big operational or system changes that you're going to make, uh, either don't start the project till you make those or um, or hold off on those big changes. For I know there's there's quite a bit of press about um, IBM Watson and, and MD Anderson and some of the challenges there. But um, to IBM's defense, you know, halfway through the project, they changed the whole EMR system, um, and which is a significant um, change. So so I think a, a stable environment is is something that can be critical in this situation. Yeah, and you've mentioned, uh, obviously, that's a, <laughs> I could see that as being a major issue. Um, what are some of the other pitfalls or potential hurdles uh, in regards to implementing these kinds of systems? So one thing I'll say, I'll say the, the biggest pitfall I, I think we see over and over again is that models are typically developed in the lab and they're typically developed all on only historical data where the answers are always known for things that have happened in the past. And I'd say the biggest challenge teams struggle with is they get very good results in the lab, but then when you move to the real-time environment, so today's patient needs estimates, you're gonna run into issues like 
not all the data elements are available at the time when we want to make the estimate. But when you were in the lab, because everything has already happened, you already have all the data elements. So I'd say, to me, that's the biggest pitfall you, we always see, is we see that um, great results in the lab don't translate to good results in the field, which is precisely as Ted started off by saying, that deployment piece is really an area that, that we feel is where our focus, you know, it's one of the things we pride ourselves on is making sure we get really good parity between what we show in the lab and what we have from our deployed models. Yeah, absolutely. I would caveat that just with one more, number one, agree 100% with Matt, but then also um, sometimes getting a simple model out there and then iterating on it is better than nothing. Um, a little bit of math goes a long way. That's fantastic. I mean, it's really interesting stuff, and I know there's a whole bunch more uh, that you guys have done that we could get into, and perhaps we get you back on another show at some point in the future. But I want to say... Uh, thanks again. Very insightful and um, looking forward to obviously seeing you guys some more at the big data meetups and uh, learning more about what you're doing. Yeah, Great. Thank thanks you. a lot, Fred. We appreciate it. It's our pleasure. Thank you, uh, uh, both Ted and Matt. And back to you, Greg. And that'll have to be the last word on today's broadcast. I want to thank uh, my co-host, Fred Goldstein, for his thoughtful engagement of our guests Today, Ted and Matt, CEO and lead scientist, respectively, of NLP Logics for their time and generous insights today. Do follow NLP Logics' work on the web by www.nlplogix.com and on Twitter at NLPLOGIX. And finally, if your hospital, health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is in the market for social media support, including content development, curation, engagement, or amplification. Ping me on Twitter via at 2HealthGuru or email Greg with two G's at healthinnovationmedia.com. <laughs> Until we meet again on Pop Health Week for Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.